In an old classic black and white movie, as a matter of fact, it was made in 1942, entitled Holiday Inn, and we, we try to watch that movie uh, every year during the holidays if we can find it. I think we have too much stuff. That's the problem. But in that particular movie, Bing Crosby plays the part of a semi-retired entertainer. He gets tired of the rat race, and he decides that he's going to move to the farm. I don't know if it was in the family or he bought it, but anyway, he ended up on the farm. And his plan was to go live on the farm where he could relax and be lazy. Well, you know, farm life turned out to be not nearly as relaxing as he had planned. He had all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of, of problems. In fact, for a city boy living alone, having only a housekeeper with a couple of little children around part of the time, farm life for him soon proved to be a drudgery. Later, having learned that he really couldn't trust his friends and he was heartbroken over a romance that wasn't working out, on Thanksgiving Day, he still decided to sing a song. And after all, you know, that's what happens in musicals, you know, you know, like one song after another. He sang a song called, I've Got Plenty to Be Thankful For. But because he was down in the dumps, his heart really wasn't in it. Oh, yeah, part of the story I almost forgot. He had a turkey sitting on the table. He was having Thanksgiving dinner all alone, right? Uh, the lady had uh, made the meal, and she was off doing whatever, so he was eating his Thanksgiving uh, dinner alone. And he was eating a turkey, and uh, the turkey that he had been raised as he was doing the farm thing uh, was Mr. Jones. And so he was, he was singing this song, I've Got Plenty to Be Thankful For, to Jonesy, who was on the table. But because he was down in the dumps, he said, you know... Really, uh, you got more to be thankful for than I do. Here he is talking to a turkey. It's possible for us to make a list of our problems. It's possible for us to make a list of all our, our disappointments, whether they're current or from the past. Where we would like to be but can't be. How we would like to feel but we don't. If that's what we wanted to do, we could certainly go that route. Or we could start today and every day with Jesus, the Son of God, is my friend. And believe that down to the marrow of our bones. God the Father in heaven is my friend. And he has proven it through history. And he proves it today. As one who lived 33 years in the flesh on the earth, Jesus knew what it was to be a friend. In writing this sermon last week, some great gospel songs kept coming into my head. You know, what a, what a friend we have in Jesus and any number of other songs. And we might mention those here in a little while. Earlier I mentioned the reality of problems in our lives. But in Psalm 37, verse 39, we have this dynamic truth. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. Now I know that a cynic could say, well, you know, that's just an old-fashioned idea. That's just something from the deep, dark uh, past. A saying from long ago. Well, let's bring it forward several centuries. In Mark chapter 5, 
Jesus cleansed a, a man of multiple demons. When he had done so, he told the man in verse 19 to go and tell others of the great things that the Lord hath done for you. How could there be a better friend than one who can lift us up from the power of Satan? How could there be a better friend who could lift us up from the disappointments that we sometimes have in ourselves? How could there be a better friend than one who gives us confidence for the future and gives us the stability that we need so that we might be a positive influence for others? How could there be a better friend than Christ? Do we remember what life was like when we were still hurting people? Do we remember what life was like when we were still disappointing others? When we were discouraging people, when it was all of self and none of Christ, borrowing from the language of one of our spiritual songs. If a person approaching adulthood is not a Christian, that is where he or she is whether he or she has come to recognize the hopelessness of their situation at all. If you are not a saved person, that is where you are. I remember what that was like for me, and I never want to go back there. Nor do I want to talk about it, nor do I want to reminisce. As much as is possible for me, I want to be at peace with everyone. Now, I always wanted to be blessed in a fellowship with the creator of the world and with his church. Christ is the friend who without exception is one who sticketh closer than a brother. I am thankful to be able to worship God in a fellowship where we practice all of the things that the Lord calls us to without addition or subtraction. I grew up in a different religious group. There were questions that I had. Some of the questions I asked, my teachers did not seem to have answers for. I came to believe that at some point in time, maybe when I was in college or a young adult, I would have smarter teachers. But I wanted to be in that blessed fellowship. As I grew and as I learned, and I am thankful for my grandparents who were a tremendous influence upon me, I began to realize that there was a way that I could worship that without question would please God. I knew that I could find a congregation where qualified men filled roles that the Holy Spirit called for in the New Testament. I came to understand that there was a purpose for God's people on earth, and I came to understand that through the Great Commission. Christ is the friend who without exception sticketh closer than a brother. 
Have you ever heard that expression, to have a friend, you must first be a friend? Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Are we appreciative of the fellowship that we have with the Lord and with one another? We have something, like the song says, we have something to be thankful for. Friendship with Jesus. Here are excerpts from a song that kept coming to mind in the preparation of this message. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Listen with the understanding as I recite these words. I know that they're familiar to you, but internalize these truths. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And this verse, in his arms he'll take and shield thee, thou wilt find a solace there. There isn't one of us who doesn't need solace from time to time. Spiritual songs can be powerful, can't they? As the Lord intended for them to be. You know, for days I've been hearing commercials about being thankful for all we have. You know, it's that time of year. And there are some businesses out there, you understand, who will say, you know, this is the time of year when we gather with family and we're thankful for all that we have. Okay, I am thankful for what I have. I believe Brother Paul mentioned it in his prayer tonight. We're thankful for what we have. But I'm thankful for who we are in the family of God. I am thankful for who we have. I am thankful for that relationship. In our thankfulness, we should never put anyone or anything ahead of our worship or our service to the Lord. This would be like spurning or insulting our best friend on earth. And it's altogether reasonable for the Lord, our best friend, to require and expect our spiritual service that the Apostle Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. We are to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. To enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God, we must first recognize the king. We must honor Him in every way that we can. And we must honor Him consistently as our King. Consistency is paramount. From Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17, a friend loveth at all times. You ever known someone who was willing to be a friend part of the time? And not so much at other times. Jesus was consistent. Who has been more consistent in his love for us than the Lord? Another of those songs, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. 
No, not one. I've always been troubled by the failure of nine lepers who were thankless in Luke chapter 17. In verse 13, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They had to lift up their voices, you understand, because they were lepers. They had to maintain a certain distance from everybody else. Have you ever noticed how many will claim Jesus as Master when their needs are or when their needs seem desperate? Well, we know from the text that Jesus sent them to show themselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were healed. When we understand how drastically leprosy had changed their lives for the worse. They couldn't be close to anyone except themselves and other lepers. And then we see the gift that Jesus gives in handing them their lives back. As he healed them with authority over all things. It would seem to us that all ten lepers would have had the same response. One of overflowing gratitude. What other friend could have given them such a gift? But only one returned praising God with a loud voice. Do you suppose that 10% of our nation, one person in 10, consistently praises God with a loud voice? Not in seeking self-attention, you understand, but in courage, in exuberance, in overwhelming gratitude. I hope the percentage is that high. I hope it is 10%. In Luke 17, only one, the, the, the Samaritan, fell at the feet of Jesus, giving him thanks. I know that Thanksgiving is a secular holiday. But it is one of America's better traditions. I know that thoughtful Christians are, are grateful to God for what they have. For what they are. And where they are headed someday. We also want to be thankful that Christ is our friend. What is it that brings disciples of Christ to respond to Him with devotion and with personal energy? Isn't it his incredible love for us that we've learned about from Scripture. In the face of His matchless love, can we help ourselves? Paul taught the church at Corinth, the love of Christ constrains us. This was in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. Constrains in this context meant that Paul and Timothy and those who supported them and prayed for them in Achaia, they couldn't help themselves. And that response to Christ's love is seen many times in the New Testament. Back in Acts chapter 4 and verse 20, after Peter and John had been arrested for the high crime of preaching Christ, 
They were brought before Annas, the high priest, and, and Caiaphas, and John, and, uh, and Alexander, and anybody who was anybody in Jerusalem for that matter. Confounded as to what to do with them, for there were 5,000 Christian believers by that time, and that was just the men. The council decided to threaten them and release them, telling them in verse 18, not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They were, they were constrained. They could not help themselves because they understood what Christ was for them. What were they saying? They were acknowledging that they were constrained by the love of Christ to do the will of God. Roughly 20 centuries ago, Jesus bore the sins of the world to the cross. His blood was necessary to ransom us from our lost condition. This is what 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6 and 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 are about. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. From 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, Paul writes, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. That's the King James Version. I believe the New King James Version has his indescribable gift. Unspeakable in this context means that words can't do justice to God's gift. What is God's unspeakable gift in this context? It is the sacrifice and the relationship, the friendship of his son. And it's through that friendship that we can be lifted up to glory. Not only here, but in the hereafter. So Jesus is our friend. Having done great things for us. That was my first point for this evening. Let me turn now to speak about the cross. Point two. Paul spoke in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2. Of his determination not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. <coughs> well, preaching him crucified is to preach the cross. The friendship of Jesus toward the lost has been profoundly proven in many passages, even during the last few hours of his life. I'll just mentioned three in passing. The friendship of Jesus was proven in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus identified Himself for the authorities. 
I am the one you seek. Let these others go. His friendship was proven in the hall of Pilate in John chapter 19. It was proven in his surrender to the cross. And what more could a friend do than die for you? Have you ever wondered what it would have been like knowing what you know now to stand on the hill of Golgotha and witness what the Romans had done and what the Romans were doing to Jesus? Even visualizing it for me is an uncomfortable exercise. I think I would feel compelled to lash out at those who tormented the Son of Man. But that is exactly what Jesus interrupted Peter in doing in John chapter 18 and verse 11. Almost as quickly as Peter had begun. Just imagine how you would wince when the crown of thorns was placed upon our Savior's head. How you would wince each time the whips came across the back of the Lord. How nauseated you would become as the nails were pounded into his flesh, fastening him there to unspeakable agony. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Those were the words of Jesus in John chapter 12 and verse 32. Those words seem to find their way into many of my sermons. Because I'm constrained to remember them and share them. Even in a time when numbers in the body of Christ seem to be dwindling. And some congregations to the point that they are closing their doors. Those words are at the same time a fact and a hope. Yes, there were times in the ministry of Christ when some disciples followed him no longer. Will you leave me too? But they knew who he was. There were other times when the numbers of disciples swelled. Through the cross, Jesus became our example in all things, including friendship. In Him we have a friend who comforts. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house there are many mansions. John 14 verses 1 and 2. As a friend, Jesus challenges. Have you ever had a friend challenging you to be better? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. As a friend, Jesus invites, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. Mark 3, verse 35. As a friend, Jesus exemplifies devotion. Rising up 
a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. As a friend, Jesus was patient. I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. As a friend, Jesus promotes our interest in other souls. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. John chapter 2 and verse 2 again. And it was as a friend that Jesus laid down his life for us. Greater love hath no man than this, he said, in advance of his great suffering. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. John 15, verses 13 and 14. Then in one of the most jaw-dropping statements in all of the New Testament. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath. Through him. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Could there be a more valuable friend? I want to expand a bit on this theme of Jesus dying for his friends. During World War II, there was a special detachment of Canadian Army soldiers whose specialty as commandos was penetrating into Nazi-held occupation zones in France and Italy. And their mission was to capture high-ranking German officers. They would black their faces at night, you understand. They were very specially trained. They wanted to capture those high-ranking German officers and take them to allied strong points where those men could be interrogated. Well, these commandos were all volunteers. Obviously, it was incredibly dangerous work. And volunteering is what 18 and 19-year-old soldiers do, if you know much about the military. There was a sergeant whose job it was to train these kids one by one these 18, 19, 20-year-old soldiers, they call that sergeant the old man. He was the old man because he was 28. He taught them to survive. He taught them when to be bold and when to lie still. He told them and taught them how to kill when they had to, for it was war. How to take care of their wounds and the wounds of their fellow soldiers, the, uh, the black dogs they called themselves. Every soldier loved and admired the old man. Their casualties were very rare. They happened, but they were rare. And every soldier felt indebted 
to their beloved sergeant for teaching them to survive. They all wanted to be like him. Their unit was actually standing down for a few days rest in Italy when when shrapnel from a cannon shell burst nearby and a fragment penetrated the sergeant's chest. A few minutes, I'm sorry, a few days later, their sergeant died. I saw a video in which three of the old man's former soldiers were reunited after 70 years. That meant that they were all in their 90s. They had all known each other well. One had saved the life of another of them and all remembered how their leader kept them alive and how much they loved him and how much he had changed them. And they all wanted to be, even in their 90s, just like him. They had been brothers in arms. And in the interview as they reminisced, all of these now very old men wept together over the loss of their friend 75 years before, 3,000 miles away. They grieved over him with the certainty that they all owed him their lives. They owed their last 70 years to him. What we as Christians remember is the suffering of Christ. His suffering in innocence. His suffering even as our sins have been filthy rags. We think about His making peace between God and man through the blood of His cross. The reconciliation of men to God was effected through the blood of Christ on the cross. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. And that is at the very heart of the gospel message. We owe Christ for the salvation of our souls. In verse 24, we see that Paul was so captivated by the mission that Christ had given to him that he could even rejoice in his sufferings for the church at Colossae. He could rejoice in his service for the body of Christ, for the church, and suffer in his own flesh willingly, for Christ had suffered for the same cause and the same purpose. The Apostle Paul was a soldier of Christ. And that is what we must be. The next thing, what is it? That our friend Jesus has done for us. And yes God certainly intends. That friends. Bless friends. As we said earlier. He saves us from sin. 
Jesus made it clear in Luke chapter 19 that he had come to to seek and save the lost. His blood was shed for a purpose, and that purpose was for the remission of sins. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. Now, we know, don't we, that the world scoffs at the mention of sin. Sin is glamorized by the world. It is embraced by the world. So, what's the problem with sin anyway? That's the question that the world has. God's message to Israel through the prophet Isaiah answers the question. In Isaiah 59 and verse 2, the word reads, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid His face from you. That He will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has uttered perverseness. So what is the problem with sin besides all the damage that it does to humanity? It separates souls from God. Sin was the downfall of Adam and Eve in Eden. It was the downfall of the Hebrews in the promised land. Sin brought about the enslavement of the tribes of Israel in Assyria. It brought about the fall of Judah and the destruction and captivity in Babylon. And sin will be the downfall of the world when Christ comes in judgment. But what will Jesus do for His believing Penitent, confessing, obedient, walking in the life, light rather, walking in the light, hearts filled with gratitude, friends. It was in John chapter 1, verse 29, that John the Baptizer described Jesus as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And there is nothing more important in heaven or on earth than that. What more does Jesus do for us? He provides courage for our lives. The author of the Hebrew letter penned this in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 6. We may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. When the Lord is formed in us, to borrow the language of Paul in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19, meaning that when we have come to spiritual maturity, we may be said to have the mind and the spirit of our Savior. We can say, acknowledging our own frailty, that we are just like Him. Coming to spiritual maturity, we may be said to have the mind and the spirit of our Savior. And I will reference Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How is Jesus our friend? Does He promise to miraculously eliminate all of our problems? 
No, we have problems and we may even face persecution. But an omniscient God sees us. Christ is present with us as He was for Israel in the wilderness. Did they see Jesus visibly? No. But here's what Paul wrote by inspiration in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Speaking of the Israelites, and all did drink of the same spiritual drink, for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Remember Daniel chapter 3 as well. And the appearance of one like the Son of God. Verse 25. From the lips of the king. One like the Son of God. There in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The friend we have in Jesus will give us victory over death. I told a couple of our grandchildren not too long ago. That all things do come to an end in this physical world. But I don't want them to weep for me whenever I go home. Because I will have gone home early. Romans chapter 8 verse 38 and 39. Neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are people who try to teach all kinds of things from that verse. What does this passage teach? Simply this and only this. If we are in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate us from God's love. Finally, we have a friend in Jesus who will take us home to a glorious eternity beyond all our pain and our tears and our disappointments. The Father and Son beam brightly. Like they do in my wife's favorite song, Brightly Beams Our Father's Mercy. And like that semi-retired -inter -semi entertainer in that 1942 movie, we have plenty to be thankful for. Share the message of Christ. Teach people the gospel. Let them know that we need to believe that Christ is the Son of God. Let them know that to honor Him, we need in repentance to turn from our sins. We need to be willing to confess Christ as Lord. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 10. Not in a one-time shot before baptism, but by the way we live our lives all the time. Not just in that one-time shot before baptism. Let people know that God provides a time and a place 
to complete our initial obedience. It's the time in which we surrender to him in baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. Let them know that out of a love for God, we need to remain faithful and be blessed in more ways than we've ever previously imagined. The lesson is yours this evening. If you would like to respond to the invitation hymn, I know that this congregation will take time to help you, counsel with you, pray with you, guide you, and assist you in any way.